Remembering Rhonda, conversations about our shared history. Welcome to the podcast where we learn about the genocide in Rwanda against the Tutsi 1994 and how literature and art create, shape and restore our collective memory. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Remembering Rwanda. It's Laura, Dora and I'm Ines and we're going to be joined online by a very special guest. We already announced her in the last episode about Scholastic Mukasonga. It's Malaik Uwamuhoro. She is an actress, poetry slammer and social rights activist from Rwanda, currently based in the US. And she's going to talk to us about her work, her life, what it's like growing up in Rwanda and outside of Rwanda, what the country is like today. And she also kindly allowed us to include two of her poetry slams into the podcast. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. So nice to have you. Thank you for agreeing to doing this with us. And the reason why we uh, reached out to you for an interview is very complex in a way, <laughs> because we did a presentation on Scholastic Mukasonga's novel, Our Lady of the Nile. And during our preparation for the, for the presentation, Laura found a poetry slam by you called Rwanda is not Hotel Rwanda. And later we discovered that you're also acting in the movie, Our Lady of the Nile. So it was a kind of nice conclusion to end with your poetry slam. And because we included the movie as well in our presentation. And here we are today. Here we so, are. And there's something you want to start off because you mentioned it um, to me beforehand. And we discussed it in our first episode about the terminology um, when it comes to the genocide against the Tutsi that happened in Rwanda in 1994. And you mentioned to me that it's important to state the whole term terminology of the genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda in 1994. Mm -hmm. And we were discussing it a little bit because um, it's, it was the first time for us that we heard like the whole terminology of that. And we're talking about because there were also a lot of Hutu and Twa victims during the genocide. Why would you say it is, is it so important to state that whole terminology and to keep that in mind? Right. Thank you so much for asking that question. I really feel like that is a, a very important question. Um, there's a lot of reasons to why the terminology is uh, very important. But uh, the first one will be you know, okay, first of all, the, the correct terminology is the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda. And as wordy as that is, it's very important because the 1994 genocide against Tutsi was against the Tutsi, right? If any Hutus, moderate Hutus or moderate Twas were killed, they were killed because they were associated with the Tutsi. Either they wanted to help them or they wanted to save them. And the reason they caught heat is because they were trying to protect the Tutsi people. So it was a genocide to hurt anybody in association with or who were actually Tutsi people. And that is just the most recent one that we know, right? The 1994 genocide against the Tutsi, but they are, there were genocides before that in preparation for the 1994 genocide. It didn't just happen in 1994. There was genocide in the 1950s, 
in the 1960s, in the 1970s, in the 1980s, early 90s, of innocent Kutsi people. So when we're saying this now, it's to be really clear about the story that we're trying to tell and what exactly and who exactly we're trying to talk about. Because now today, 27 years later, so many uh, genocide deniers living in the West, right? They are um, taking the opportunity to use time, you know, so much time has gone by and to say, no, that there's a double, there was, a, it was a double genocide, you know, there was Tutsis and Hutus who were being killed or just calling it a genocide so that they can be ambiguous about their narrative, right? They use that. They use, when you hear somebody saying Rwandan genocide, that that's a red flag because who of the Rwandan people were being targeted during that time, right? And they're trying to make it ambiguous. It's something that they're using right now in their denial strategy. And so us being very clear about what we are talking about really, you know, sets the record straight and is a way of, you know, advocacy. It is a way of um, really saying what happened and, and not trying to reframe, not trying to revise, not trying to... Uh, tell a story that wasn't true simply because time has passed and, um, you know, people don't even want to say it because it's so long. You know, I once had somebody say, but no, it's so long. And I'm like, well, I'm very, very sorry, but that's exactly what happened, you know, and we have to respect it and call it for what it is. We were wondering while um, researching and preparing for the whole podcast, is there a Kenya Wonder word for the genocide? Um, it is adopted from French. They call it genocide, right? Um, I think, um, so that's also a, a really interesting uh, question because the whole ideology of genocide was originally not from the Rwandan people. This is not something that we performed, you know, this is not something that we agreed. This is not something that was part of our culture or part of our traditions. And so, you know, one of the reasons I say, you know, Rwanda is not Hotel Rwanda, Rwanda is not just about the genocide is because this is not, this was not our doing. When you look in the history, Rwanda was actually a very strong kingdom, very had a very strong uh, society and 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 culture and traditions, and we were very strong together. And so, when you look at the history, you see that you know we started to have ideology problems when the uh, colonialists came, right? And so, I think that's part of the reason why we don't have uh, the word genocide in Kinyarwanda because it's not part of who we are. And that's exactly what you're talking about in your poetry slam. Um, we lost one, we forgot, right? Right. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about, too. I love that you guys picked up on that. <laughs> but yeah, that is exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Once upon a time, we sang one song. We danced one dance. We got along. Once upon a time, we intertwined. We wined and dined. We... We're just fine. But when unwanted guests joined our fest and changed our beat, our feet got lost in a rhythm of extreme divisionism. Suddenly we misunderstood the meaning of patriotism and bought into a notion of barbarism. And when we did this, we lost. We lost when we forgot that we were one people. That's when all our good 
turned to evil. We lost when we forgot that we shared the same culture and started targeting our own as would a vulture. We lost when we forgot that we shared the same language yet failed to understand one another. We lost when we forgot that we were sisters and brothers. And so we lost so much that we lost ourselves, allowed a living world to become a living hell. We lost so much, we lost a million of our own. We lost so much, we will live to mourn those who were torn away from us. We lost so much when we forgot to trust in us, which is why we must remember. We must remember the dear lives lost and what that cost us as a nation. We must remember that division leads to doom, that unity leads to bloom. So beware of even the hushed conversations of divisionism inside the comfort of your living room. We must remember to tell the whole truth of our history without leaving holes of hate for those who hear us. We must remember to be the defenders of our values and not the offenders because only together can never again truly be never Again, we must remember not to forget, lest we neglect the lesson so harshly learned. We must remember not to forget that we lost when we forgot. That was Malaika Uwamahoro's poetry slam. We lost when we forgot. We also uh, started in our first episode talking about how we use the terms Hutus and Tutsis because it, in order to understand the conflict, it is like you need to to name them but actually are they exi- I wouldn't call it existing but how do you use that nowadays or how do you even refer to anything well nowadays we don't use that nowadays we call each other Rwandans and I'll tell you why right even being Hutu or Tutsi way before the colonialists came this was something so if you had and more than 10 cows, you were considered a Tutsi. If you had less than 10 cows, you were considered a Hutu. And if you had no cows at all and uh, engaged in pottery or like another different activity, um, you were considered Twa, right? But these are social economic scales that you can go up and down. So let's say I have 10 cows today, I'm Tutsi. One gets sick and dies, I have nine. I guess, well, now I'm a Hutu, right? And then if they all get sick, the now Matar, right? So this is something that you can move up and down. But what the um, the the colonialists did when they came, they said, no, if you have a nose like this, and if you're this tall, and if you're this and this, and you have access to this, and then you are, the, you know, they really, and they gave us identity cards. And it's really cemented, again, this cemented something that before we were able to just be able to move around, right? So this started to create, you know, how people how people live in society. Say if, if 
you're okay, only this amount of tutsis are allowed to go to school and only this amount of, of tutsis can do this and could do that. Because now you've you you know who is who and now you're setting boundaries over what they can do and what they can't do and how they can live and how they can't live, right? That's what that was. And um now what Rhonda is trying to do in a lot of ways is to is to go back to the ways that we used to be, right? Because we weren't Rhonda and we're now walking around calling each other Hutu Tutti Twa all the time, you know. I don't I don't think so. I think that it, you know, we had we were just Rondon and actually we had other things that we considered more, we gave more weight to clans, we gave more weight to things like, you know, what what the clans were into at that time, but that all went away. And now we're trying to relearn, like we're trying to learn all of that. That is more like general thing but we want to talk about you obviously <laughs> if we if we have you and we just wanted to to ask you in general about your story because I think it's a very interesting as well you were born in 1990 is that right yeah. yeah and would you would you tell us about your personal story yeah for sure um so my mom was in how do you say the 11th grade What, like she was like 19, right? When she got pregnant with me. And uh, so my mom was basically born and raised in uh, Uganda, which is the neighboring country to Rwanda. Um, and my grandma had fled Rwanda in 59. My grandma and my grandpa, they fled in 59 and they, they, they made a life in Uganda. And it was hard, you know, to live as refugees and, you know, also refugees and you know in a certain town they don't have the same benefits right so it was very difficult for them growing up so my mom is 19 she gets pregnant and she is like she was like my grandfather was really strict he was like a soldier and he you know also like went to church a lot so he had like really distinct um like beliefs so she freaked out and she went to Rwanda and she had me in Rwanda And then three months after I was born, because in 1990 wasn't safe either, she had to flee back to Uganda for safety. So I kind of, my first seven years of my life, I grew up in in Uganda. And then uh, from there, my mom wanted to like, she wanted to finish school. So she moved here to the U.S. and I came and I found her here. And I lived in the U.S. from when I was like seven to 12 or 11, like that. And then I moved back to Rwanda and kind of went to school there. And this whole time while I was in Uganda and while I was in the U.S., I identified as a Ugandan and I identified as somebody from the U.S. And I knew I was Rwandan because I could, you know, hear my grandmother speak to me in Kinyarwanda. And I knew like I knew we were Rwandan, but I never really identified with the place, especially because all the stories I was hearing was about fleeing and war and genocide. And it just didn't sound so appealing, you know. So when I was eventually like 11 and moved back, it's when I started to learn the details of what actually happened. And this whole time, like since I was in Uganda, I was like an active entertainer. But it's when I went back to Rwanda that I realized I can do so much more with my art, right? Um, it, 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 Yes, it can entertain, but it can also really educate. I feel like so many people need to know what happened here at home and this thing that you know this awful thing that i had been denying is a part of me is a part of my history and i i have to tell this story so that's kind of how like i came into it 
Thank you so much um, for telling your personal story or telling us a little bit more about that. Um, I was wondering, could you um, talk a little bit more about how was growing up in the generation after the genocide against the Tutsi was like? I feel like, first of all, I've me along with a lot of friends of mine, we've been sheltered a lot. And I think our, our parents try to do that. I think, I think they actively try to do that. I think I remember like in Uganda when I was still young, I remember like my grandma, I think I was maybe four years old when like, because it's when the genocide happened. I remember her sitting near a radio and crying and like just crying because I assumed she was like listening to what was happening, right? And, you know, every time, and I think that's why I was like, as, as a young person, I was so like heartbroken by Rhonda before I even knew her. And I didn't want to because I, I just related her to, to pain, right? Um, so when I, when I went back and I started to really learn what happened, my eyes, like in my mom's silence made sense. My grandma's silence made sense because there were some really horrible things that happened in, in, in Rwanda during the 1994 genocide against Tutsi and the genocides before that. So I know a lot of children who were sheltered by their parents to the point where maybe they've only been to the genocide memorial center once, or they don't, they have the option not to want to, but I was kind of really curious. I became really curious once I found out and I just wanted to know more and I really started to delve in. So I would say that my experience might have been a little different from uh, kids around me, but there are a couple of things that, you know, I was able to use my knowledge for. Like I, I, my grandma, for instance, has a really hard time letting go of that kind of ideology. Right. And so, um, you know, when I'm talking to her, you know, I tell her, you know, you need to be careful how you tell these stories to my siblings who don't have con as much context as I do because you might be creating hate where there could be love and understanding just because of what happened to you, right? And so I just pray that, you know, eventually a lot of us, you know, will interact with this kind of work that I do because I feel like it's, it's for young people and be able to, to really know the dangers of this kind of ideology and not to carry it on into future generations. So I feel like there's a very big responsibility but also um, there is a, a sheltering that, that, that has to happen or that is happening in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. and, and what's it like today? I mean, I think you're going back and forth a lot, right? Um, to, to Rwanda and to the US. And what's it like today for the generations today who were born after the genocide? And what's different to your um, youth and your process of growing up? Yeah, I think, you know, this generation, they they have a lot to look forward to. You know, they're really in an environment like Kigali and Rwanda are really doing really well. I don't know if you've been following the news from Rwanda, but it's currently the cleanest city, most peaceful city. And so, you know, they have they have an environment that is really encouraging them to be innovative and to move forward, but not to take away from, you know, the personal uh interactions they may be having with their families because a lot a lot of them are from whether it doesn't matter which side you are you're on you do have a certain trauma that you are you know 
um, feeling. And then every month, I mean, every year we have the month of April where we commemorate. So they're very aware as well, you know, as, as to what happened. They're not oblivious to it. Um, but I think environment and good leadership is a huge thing. And they are there in a, in a place that, you know, is really allowing for Rhonda to change and to move forward um, despite our horrific past part of our horrific yes. You already mentioned that uh, the reason why you started doing art in one way is your Rwandan, Rwandan story. So, uh, but is that the only reason? Can you tell us a little bit more? How did you get involved in the uh, field of arts? Uh, what made you start doing it and continue? What is your motivation about art? Yeah, okay, for sure. Um, so... Like I said, my mom was a single. My mom was a single mom for a, a long time, right? She she got remarried when I was about twelve. So for the first twelve years of my life, I'm I'm basically living with my mom and my grandma. You know, when I, I was so I was born into a family of artists, right? My mom, just by gift or talent, she's an interior designer, right? My grandma is a tailor. My two aunts were performing artists and my two uncles were visual artists. So I kind of came into this family of just like, I was seeing people design things. I was seeing, uh, you know, my grandma had fabrics and look at different fabrics. I was going into fabric stores. I was, you know, seeing my aunts dance and, and my uncles draw pictures and make uh, cars or, or different sculptures out of hangers so I, I kind of grew up in this environment and I, I loved it a lot I could see how happy they were every time they engaged with making art and so I started like naturally I started just going into it and then for school and for for like church I would do the after school programs you know for singing dancing talent shows or do like the quiet you know be in the choir or like I was just you could Count on it. I'm gonna be there. So even like through school, like that's that's um that's what happened. And you know, I, I would love to go in and be in the talent shows and do different class, different dance classes, instrumental classes, different things. That's kind of how I got into it. And then when I moved back to Rwanda, is when I realized, yeah, it's cool to jump around and be on stage and tell stories, and that's awesome. But art can also transform, and a lot of people can. Not, not even just transform it can also heal right it's not even it can it's a healing process when you put these stories on stage it's a healing process for those who watch it it's a healing process for those who are making it so I felt like it was a really important part of art that wasn't as visible um and needed like more light on it and I was very fortunate to grow up in uh so when I was in Rwanda, I joined a group called Mashirika Performing Arts. And I joined them in 2005. And to this day, like I'll still, we still work together in a lot of ways. And also Spoken Word Rwanda, which is a platform, a spoken word platform in Rwanda. And they, um, those two like really helped form who I am um, today. 
but yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. Um, so now that we're speaking about your art, um, one thing that would really interest me is um, the question of language. So, for example, your poetry slams are mostly in English. And I was wondering how and why did you choose this language? And could you see yourself writing or performing maybe also in Kinyawanda? I could. I could. And um, I, I'm actually very jealous of all my lovely artist friends in Rwanda who can flawlessly just say poetry in, in Kinyarwanda. I think that's um, something that's absolutely powerful. And Kinyarwanda is a very poetic language, actually. Um, so I, I, I am trying to learn when I can and how I can. But that that experience was robbed from me. And it was robbed from me not just when I was in 1990 when I was born. No, it was robbed from me. It was robbed from my mother. It was robbed from my grandmother. It was, we had to flee in 1959. So there was no chance. I lost my chance in 19, before I was even born. I had no, I had no right to my language. And, and, you know, I think with my mom, like growing up in Uganda as a refugee, they were told in Uganda not to speak in Uganda so that you can, you know, fake being Ugandan and like get on with life and have be able to attend school because sometimes they're like no no school for you guys you know so I definitely would love to you know uh do some poetry in Rwanda and sometimes I do like there's a you know in Rwanda's not hotel Rwanda there's like two lines where you know I'm like oh okay this is real Rwanda because sometimes people are like what you just said does not exist I'm like well it exists in my head but yeah so I try and I'm learning and maybe one day I'll be able to spit a whole poem in, uh, in Kinyarwanda. I mean, um, that's something we talked a lot about in our class as well, like talking and writing colonial languages, like for Scholastic Mukasonga as well, she writes in, in French and she says it's, it is like more possible for her to write in French because it's, she has kind of like a distance in that language to to Kinyawanda, is that something you feel as well? Is it to maybe get get a greater depth um, to your stories and and to your poetry and everything else if you could really fluently write it in Kinyawanda? Feel that uh, if I knew how to really express myself in Kinyawanda. Uh, I would be writing some really, really deep thing because something takes on seven. Like if if I'm trying to say love, like, and I'm and I'm really trying to describe it in a poetic way, it takes on seven times the meaning. Like it's just it's heavy like that. Language really layers it like that. So I'm not saying my stuff is watered down because I use English, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that there's a lot more depth and vocabulary that, you know, I've been robbed of. Mm, definitely. And your English uh, work has already so much depth and, and meaning in it, um, at least to me. And you also performed like many different projects related to, uh, to the genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda in 1994. How did, how did your personal experience like contribute to your performance or is it like just acting and you try to get into that or do you also like really really go into your own story and and relate to that well so part of my process when I was you know 
when I was like 12 and really learning about the genocide, also through art that I had learned from, you know, Mashrika, that's actually how I started getting into it because Mashrika had this piece called uh, Africa's Hope and it was about the genocide, right? And um, I just started to learn so much, right? And the more I started to learn, I was so intrigued. Like I wanted to, I, I started listening to survivor stories. I started listening to perpetrator stories. I started listening to people whose parents, like my my friends whose parents were still going through that and still had traumatic, traumatic episodes. And so I started talking to my grandma more. I started talking to my mom more. And just listening to all these stories and, and really figuring out how deep in it myself I am rooted, you know, and also seeing like when I when I tell their stories on stages, what that what that does for them, I know that this is a necessary work. I know that it's a work that I can tap into and it's source and it is my history. As much as I was protected and sheltered from the um, horrificness of it, I still it's still very close to me and very close to my history and. You know, when I have my cousin who is telling me how she watched her mom being butchered, I, you know, she she looks like me. She is me. You know, I, I can't separate that story from myself more, more anymore, you know, and her pain is my pain. And so I just know that I, I have these, you know, really artistic abilities. I was born in this family is super artistic and I love art. But I also love my people and, and want, kind of want to serve them in this way through this art. So that's where and how I, I, I'm able to, you know, I, I think, relate and jump into these roles. Yeah. And you already talked about like art is already also like a great opportunity to address those topics, but also to heal trauma. And that's something we were talking a lot during the semester about creating memory, creating like a new history and also heal trauma as, as um, in Scholastic Mukasonga's work herself, or she says herself that it was like, her he or when she started writing, her healing process started. And you are also um, one of the actresses, the amazing actresses in Our Lady of the Nile. And we just wanted to ask you about that experience. Did you know the novel before and how was it like to work with Scholastique, with Atik, the, the um, director of the movie and the other girls and just and to shoot it entirely in Rwanda as well? It was an amazing experience. Um, I had not read the book before. I had come across it and um, I think it was in my mom's library because she's a, a really big avid reader. Uh, especially on stories about Rhonda. So I think it was in her library, but I hadn't read it yet. And um, I was actually coming back. I was in the state and I saw the uh, the flyer, the poster about, you know, uh, the auditions. But I, I was going to fly back to Rhonda and miss them because it was, just wasn't in time. But lucky enough, so when I got to Rhonda, I just happened to call because there was Mashirika who was doing the casting. So I was like, time to leave. There any like role I could be an extra I could do whatever you want, <laughs> and they said um, actually there's two main characters that we haven't cast yet, and so I was like oh okay cool cool cool, so I went in and I auditioned, and um, you know I did a lot of work with Atik who is amazing he made me do like a lot of improv things uh, 
exercises and it was pretty cool. And I, I, I don't know when I went home, I didn't know if I got it or not, but I, I felt good about what, what we had done. You know, I always try to approach these characters with as much honesty and authenticity as I possibly can because they're they're really raw and you know so anyway I think like two days later he's called me and told me I got the part and I was so excited um and uh I read the whole book and then I read the script and then um yeah you know Skolesi came to see us like twice you know for uh, rehearsals and then she came on set and uh, to see us as well and uh, in terms of working with the other girls, it was very good, very interesting. I was dealing with a lot of girls who had not been, you know, they weren't actresses before, but they were really, they were amazing, as you saw. And so, you know, just being in uh, in that entourage. Also, I think Etik really did cast uh, well. You know, he he did a great job at casting. And, you know, during the whole time, it, it kind of felt like we were in a girls' school, you know, in in dorms. It kind of we always kind of kept that uh, alive. So yeah, it was pretty. It was a, an amazing experience, and I'm so proud to be a part of of that. It was a beautiful film, and I hope that we get more access to it and show it to more people. Right. Uh, thank you for sharing experience from set. Um, but beside your career in arts, we would also like to hear um, about your other projects uh, because on Wikipedia, we found that uh, Wikipedia uh, defines you also as a social justice activist. So maybe there are some projects that you're currently working on and uh, just give you space to, to say more yeah. about it. I I think that it's again it's through my art, right? It's through my art that I I look for, I look to be a voice to important um, things that are happening around the world. I know I've written poems about the environment. I've written poems about being a black woman. I've written poems about uh, being a woman. I've written poems about uh, you know surviving about love and all of these things and aren't these the things that matter in the world and you know I think that's where the social activism comes in um all these things that need attention and that need um that need a voice that need a, a powerful voice to it and and that's where I try to put my energy and you know try to fuel the movement with it and I, I just wanted to ask him because I came across it on your Twitter feed. You uh, were part of a workshop called Rhymes um, of Remembrance. Yeah. And that was like a poetry and healing workshop, at least yeah. stating yeah. that. Um, so I was wondering, does your art, like, do you, do you um, like distance yourself sometimes from that heavy meaning in art or does it always like bear deep of course a deeper meaning but like really important stuff for you or is it sometimes just okay I just want to write for myself for feeling good or do you also always have in in the back of your head that you kind of do it for the others and that you need to repre represent or um to make it aware I think for a long time I was uh you know for the people all the time and you know really hard and it was it's great but you need to take time for yourself right because you can only give 
from if you have enough to give, right? So I feel like I there's a time for everything, and I'm able to channel in all of those things. I, I'm sure if you follow me on Instagram, you're gonna think like this is a completely different girl than <laughs> than this girl on Twitter, than this girl on Facebook. It's it's just different sides. You know how it is. I think it's for for everybody, right? Um, so it's just like. I, I allow myself, I am a vessel. And so I allow all kinds of art to flow through me. I, I have, if you look into Spotify, you'll find songs about love. You'll find songs about being in the club. You'll find songs about, you know, just a different side of me. And I think that I am embracing that side. And, you know, there will be more content, you know, like that. But as much as there will be more content about the things that I honestly do care about. So I think that I do not want to put myself in a box and be a particular thing, but you know, the things that I do care about people, people know, and, and, um, and I know that's, you know, that's why I'm motivated to, to keep going. And so that actually rhymes of remembrance. Let me get back to that. Cause that's really interesting. Um, it's a poetry book that I'm hoping to do. And it's a, it's a five, five poems. It's a collection of five poems, only five poems. And it is, uh, talking about the lead up to the life during and life after the 1994 genocide against the So I wanted it to be brief and po and poetic because, you know, sometimes people can get bogged down about reading history books with 2000 pages. And I'm like, I got y'all. I'm gonna give you some, some poetry and some historical briefs. And if you want to learn more, you're going to learn more, but you're going to get something from here. And if you're going to, you're going to have solid and poetic understanding at the very least, you know, um, which is deep, which is deep. It, it's really deep to connect through a history, through poetry, through art. I think that's super powerful. So I, I, I'm, I'm hoping to do that. But in the meantime, I'm doing workshops with that kind of work and teaching people how, you know, to help, first of all, how they can write their own poetry, but how they can begin to use poetry as a form of healing, as a form of therapy, right? Because um, there is a lot of pain in the world right now. And um, what are the tools we have around us to make life better, right? Um, and to, to free ourselves from the prisons even we keep ourselves inside, you know? I think it's really interesting that you mentioned the healing process because we talked a lot about the past and the present. And so I would also be interested in Uh, do you have any visions for Rhonda's future or how do you see yourself in it? What do you hope for and kind of how do you want to, to contribute to it also? It's a beautiful question. I think Rhonda has a very, very bright future ahead of it. I think that we, we have come from so much darkness. We know what darkness is. We know it very, very well. And we are consciously walking away from that. And anything or anyone who is in the way or, you know, wants to take us back to that time, we know what to do about it. That's something that I'm very hopeful about. And so I'm just I'm just really excited for Rhonda's future. Um, I'm excited to be a Rondon. That's something that I wasn't able to say when I was 10 with my big head. Um, now I know better. I'm proud to be Rondon. And I think that it's a very exciting time for Rondons, for, you know, for Rhonda. And you, you ladies should, should visit when you get the chance. Please do visit. Yeah, we yeah. were like, as soon as traveling is possible again, um, we have to go. Rhonda, 
is not Hotel Rwanda. Rwanda is not Hotel Rwanda. No, Rwanda is the heart-beating life of Africa, the world's example and definition of hope, resilience, and ambition. If you haven't yet heard, listen. Grab a pen and learn because Rwanda is a lesson. Rwanda is where the great Kivu Lake rests in where the birds of the Nyungwe forest nest in and the foreign investors fly all the way to invest in what's happening right now and Rhonda is interesting and it's amazing to be a part of and watch watch Rhonda Rhonda is tens of growing cities hundreds of opportunities the land of a thousand hills the faces with a million smiles and just one people we are united back home where i come from in rwanda there is freedom where we live in peace and where we live as we please yemi simvuga mahanga oyandavugi watu mu rwanda ahari kuberi bitangaza rwanda is birds and lakes lights and city streets volcanoes and silverbacks restaurants cinemas and coffee beans teas industries electricity and honey bees i come from the earth's last piece of paradise a big-hearted land where my people chose forgiveness over the atrocities they witnessed a land where we are not afraid to speak the truth a land where there is room for the youth a land where my people work hand in hand to demand justice and dignity we come from a land that has risen from the ashes of sorrow to the rose blossom of tomorrow a land of agachiro we come from that land So no. Rwanda is not Hotel Rwanda. We will not be defined by the genocide. Rwanda is the land of pride, the home to dreamers, believers and achievers, learners and teachers, humans and creatures, the heart-beating life of Africa, the world's example and definition of hope, resilience and ambition. If you haven't yet heard, yo, I hope you listened because Rwanda is a lesson. We also hope you listened carefully to Malaika Wamahoro's poetry slam. Rwanda is not Hotel Rwanda. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. In um, your art, you you speak a lot of uh, a lot about of um, of important things, like you already mentioned mentioned injustice colonialism but also about like kind of the danger of single story narratives as well um like um uh, and Gotia Dici um put it and in your poetry slam Rwanda is not hotel Rwanda you say if you haven't yet heard yo I hope you listened Rwanda is a lesson and we we just want to to hear from you what what lesson I mean we all kind of know but What lesson is Rwanda? What do you want your audience to learn and take away or to start learning about? Well, first of all, I want them to know that Rwanda is so much more, right? So much more than this film. Like, cause I think the frustration for me came when I would tell people I'm from Rwanda. They're like, oh, Hotel Rwanda or like, oh, the genocide. And I'm just like, y'all, first of all, 
we're so much more than that, right? And this movie that, first of all, we we as Rondans, we don't accept it because it 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 applauds someone who does not is not deserving of of applause, right? Who did some very horrible things at that time, and who's gotten awards and respect all over the world for this. So, whenever you see a movie that's not doesn't include person from that place, spray the eyebrows all the time. Just be like, I'm not sure. <laughs> all right, so um. But yeah, so Rhonda is so much more. And um, e- even before the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi, we had a history. We had so much. So I want you to learn all of these things. Rhonda is a lesson in that sense. You know, we've, we there's so much beauty and so much culture and so many traditions that you have not been exposed to because all you're curious about is the genocide. You know, and so Rhonda is so much more in that sense, but also and and is a lesson in that sense. And it's also a lesson in the sense that we came from a horrible way of thinking, right, of thinking about each other as humans. We came from a horrible way of doing that. And we know the consequences that come from that kind of thinking. Right. And we've learned that and the world has not learned that. The world continues to have all sorts of ideologies that harm one another. Be it could be, it, maybe it was not. It's not even, um, you know, like knife to neck, but can can isolate a type of people, you know, just because of what being said or, or what what the news is circulating. So, it's that kind of awareness of the kind of ideologies that are that exist that Rhonda has learned from, and that I hope that the world will learn from too and so that we can really experience what it's like to have peace that we, you know, talk about all the time so much. So um, another question that I would like to ask if I have the chance to um, speak to you, Um, as you mentioned, you're creating your poetry book right now. That's something I would be really excited to read. So I was wondering if you could share some more details about that. Yeah, of course. Um, well, it is still in the process. I'm still doing the back and forth with the publishers. But um, as soon as it's out, if you guys follow me on Twitter uh, at Malaika Uwamahoro or on Instagram, Uwa underscore Mahoro, um, I'm sure as soon as it drops, those will be some of the first places that you will see it. And thank you, thank you so much already for your support. Yeah, it means a lot. That's amazing. And it's and it's all about like um in, in context of the of the workshop we mentioned earlier, right? Or it, is it about like healing, the healing process? Yes, yes. Uh, actually in the concept note, uh so there's like there's a concept note before you enter the book. It it, it is it is a space to heal, vent, mourn, and learn. You know, and I want that I want that for my readers. I, I feel like it's necessary. And at the end, you know, I'm trying to have a a couple of pages where my 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 audience can write their own poetry, can write whatever they feel, you know, after. So I kind of want to make it an experience and we, I also want to have it in audio form. So I'm just working on all those things. And as soon as it drops, it'll be on my social media in the first place. That's amazing. So I think we are already really excited to read <laughs> that and and yeah, watch out. <laughs> watch right. out for it. Watch out, yeah. Yeah. Sure. And to wrap things up, uh, we just we just want to ask you or give you the space in a way. Um, if there's anything more you want to add um, to say to our listeners, because I think 
we are publishing it in like the center of Europe. So <laughs> it's like a really different context, I think, um, to what you usually working working with. So if you have something to to add or um, I, I could not go without saying something to our listeners. First of all, thank you for making it this far. And um, also, thank you for being so curious. Thank you for wanting to know. Thank you for um, wanting to learn because I think one of the things that hurts us the most is ignorance. Some really horrible, horrible things are happening in, in the world, and we have absolutely no idea that it's happening. And so I just want to thank you for taking this time. I know it means a lot to uh, my people, you know, people I come from, that, you know, that you would be so curious to figure out who Malaika Wamahoro is, where she comes from, what kind of work she does, and um, to really dig deep. And so I, I just really want to thank you. Y'all are great humans. Thank you so much. Wow, I think those are like, there's nothing more to add. <laughs> like great, like last words. Thank you so much. It, it was an honor to have you. And I think we did learn a lot and, and it's so inspiring to listen to you and that you shared your story. It's not, yeah, not for sure that you'd be so open to talk about it and, and let us be part of, of your narrative in a way and to let us spread spread your words. It, it's a huge honor and it was really nice to get to know you. I mean, <laughs> you're beautiful you human so being. Thank All you right. Thank <laughs> so, so much. much. Thank you so much for being so open to talk to us about very difficult stuff, to give us an insight into your life, your story and your art. It was really amazing. Um, and we're really looking forward to your new projects, what's coming next for you. And this was Malaika Wamuhoro for our podcast, Remembering Rwanda, conversations about our shared histories. We just want to give you a big thanks for your time, for your kindness and for all the stories you shared with us today. As our journey of learning and unlearning continues, we get the chance to speak to another incredible person for our next episode. His name is Kanese Theoshen. He is a survivor from Rwanda, pastor and considers himself a peacemaker in his community. So that's going to be a very deep, insightful, interesting talk about reconciliation, healing trauma and peace. We hope you join us again next time. Thank you for listening and participating in our collective memory. For further reading, please check out the links provided in the episode description. We really appreciate your curiosity. If you liked our podcast, please share it with other curious people around you.